Looking for health info? This is Health News House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. We're here to provide you with the tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. This is House Call. There's probably no scarier news than hearing you have a brain tumor. It not only affects your physical well-being, but has profound emotional and psychological implications. To help us understand warning signs and to tell us when to stop Googling our symptoms, we have neurosurgeon and chair of neurosurgery at JFK University Medical Center, Dr. Thomas Seinecke here with us. So thank you, Dr. Seinecke, for coming in. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Katie, for having me. So. Fantastic. So before we begin and talk about you know, the scaries of brain tumors, do you mind just telling me a little bit about your career and what led you to be a neurosurgeon? Sure. Um, actually, I have a, a younger sister, and she's uh, 16 years younger. And so one time, uh, we were in the car together, and she's in her car seat, and she just went limp, and she became unconscious. And uh, there was a, an ER within about fi- uh, 10 minutes. So I rushed her down there. I kind of carried her quite literally like a football uh, into the ER and handed her off to one of the ER docs. And then magically, within, within about uh, five minutes, she's kind of back to herself. And so that kind of sparked my interest in medicine in general. And then it, it turned out that she had a febrile seizure, which was completely benign. And thank God she did not have a brain tumor. But it sparked my interest in medicine in general and more specifically neuroscience, which led into neurosurgery. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that she was fine and that all yeah. was well and that it brought you here. Yes. Fantastic. So today we're talking about what does a brain tumor feel like? So I've been doing some Googling and there are some <laughs> symptoms that are very common, like headaches and fatigue and stuff. So maybe I'll just let you take it away. What what does a brain tumor feel like as the patient? Sure. Brain tumors are a little bit like real estate. It really depends where they're at, uh, which will determine their symptoms. But by and large, most of them will cause headaches. Now, the thing about it is a third of our population have fairly regular headaches. So how do you distinguish a brain tumor headache versus a regular headache? So I don't want you know a third of the population suddenly to rush in and want an MRI scan because they have a brain tumor. Right. Uh, so it's typically a headache that is a little unusual for you. It's uh, The symptoms are not your typical migraine, uh, and uh, it typically will be something that will either be recurrent uh, or uh, you'll start to have it and it just doesn't go away. Uh, most migraine sufferers kind of have a typical type of headache. So for instance, maybe it's in the frontal area or the front part of your head. But if you start having headaches that are more posterior and just atypical for what you're used to experience. And it's posterior something, meaning, is that the back of the yeah, head? Yeah, the back of the head. Okay. And uh, and it becomes kind of atypical for you. It becomes persistent. That's a good time to see a doctor. Okay, so headache is the main symptom. He- headaches is one of the main symptoms, especially headaches with with nausea uh, and vomiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are always uh, you know those are always telltale signs as well. But you have to remember there's a lot of overlap between those type of headaches and migraine headaches. There's a lot of migraine sufferers will have nausea and vomiting as well. And you can also have dizziness, kind of a lightheadedness, just not really feeling yourself. Um, 
And so those are the very typical symptoms of it. And then it really kind of boils down the location. If you have headaches and you also have neurological symptoms, that's a big warning sign. Uh, for instance, if you have a really bad headache and you notice uh, worsening numbness on the on one side of your body or weakness, uh, or notice you know, you're becoming discoordinated or having trouble with your coordination, so any headaches associated with neurological symptoms, that's a big red flag. Could that be speech too? It could be, yes. Yeah. So if uh, you're finding it harder to think of the words to say or you know the words are saying, you just can't get them out. Those are typical speech signs um, that can be associated with brain tumors. So at what point do people get to you? You know, if like they're experiencing these like pretty common symptoms, when does that lead to finally getting to a neurosurgeon to say, oh wow. Typically you'll get an appointment with your primary care doc um, or a neurologist. Uh, if you're particularly concerned, a lot of headache sufferers, uh, migraine sufferers already have a connection with a neurologist, but it's usually your primary. And, um, and most of the time primaries, you know, they're good at uh, assessing whether this is now, nah, this is probably just more your typical headaches. Maybe it's your typical headaches plus allergies. And mm-hmm. so it just feels different to you, but they're typically pretty good at, at knowing the, the warning signs. And that's generally the first step. Your, uh, your primary will assess you, maybe do a neurological exam, see if there's any neurological findings. And then often we'll either go a CAT scan or typically MRI scan of the brain. Interesting. Is there any time that symptoms won't arise and someone has a brain tumor? Like, and I I don't know, how would you then find it? Yeah, a lot of times we find it for other reasons. Um, One of my patients, uh, she she basically had some dizziness and she underwent an MRI scan that demonstrated a big brain tumor, but it really wasn't causing a dizziness. Dizziness is pretty common. It can be, you can have a cold and your ears can get plugged up or you can have some inflammation in your middle ear. And so dizziness and vertigo is a very common symptom. And it's not, it's uncommonly associated with brain tumors. But she was having some dizziness she um, she received a scan and she was, came to my office and we we're talking about it and actually she was like okay doc I have a little bit of dizziness but you're telling me I have this big brain tumor and you want to do this big operation but I have a little dizziness why should I do that yeah and it wasn't until I showed her actually in our our three D uh, virtual reality system that really brings these. Uh, these scans of life, when I showed her in 3D and how big it was and what it was pushing on, that really convinced her, it's okay, when are we booking the surgery? So long story short, yes, a lot of patients will, for other reasons, get scans. I recently had a patient that had pain in her shoulder. She had an MRI scan of the shoulder, and it also cut through, or not cut through, it took pictures of the lower part of the brain, and she had a small brain tumor in the lower part of the brain. So probably a third, maybe even more patients uh, don't have symptoms, we just catch for other reasons. They have a car accident, they hit their head, or they have a concussion for some reason, they get a CT scan, and we'll discover something on the CT scan. Or like a, like the woman with shoulder pain, completely unrelated problem, and yet she got a scan that showed a little, a little mass. That is 
such divine intervention. Like, oh, you got some shoulder pain? Well, guess what? I'm going to show you. You have a brain tumor and save your life. Yes. Yeah. And I've and I have a, a number of stories like that. Patients will, for unrelated reasons, get a scan. It's like, wow. And uh, there's this big mass that needs to be addressed. So, and do so. you think that that's common? That people are just walking around with giant brain tumors and we have no idea? Now you're scaring us in a whole nother way. <laughs> no, no. For, fortunately not. And the, the take-home message is 99% of the time headaches are not related to brain tumors. They're just the common know. headaches that everybody has. So it's, it's good to know more of what distinguishes a brain tumor headache. And it's typically something that's unusual for you. Unusual uh, and associated with symptoms that you typically don't have. And so, no, the uh, brain tumors are still relatively uncommon uh, within the society. And uh, so most of the time, dizziness is just dizziness. Um, you know, headaches is, is just a headache. Uh, hearing, uh, but any type of neurological symptom that you one has um, should really be checked out. For instance, one symptom of a tip, uh, particular type of brain tumor is hearing loss hearing loss and ring in the ear and um, a lot of people will especially when they're in the 50s and 60s it's like oh well I'm just getting older mm -hmm. and and but if you have hearing loss just on one side they really should have that checked out um, any type of visual symptoms I treat a lot of patients with pituitary tumors and uh, so a lot of times people put that off. Oh, my, you know, I wear glasses. I just need to update my glasses. And uh, so they put that off and, and, until the tumors are bigger and starting to cause real damage to their visual systems. So any type of an unusual neurological symptom that's persistent. We all have aches and pains and kind of weird things you can't explain. But if you have a sy symptom that becomes persistent, then that really should you should talk to a doctor about it and see if there's anything to it. For sure. So these neurological symptoms would be like vision issues, speech, mm -hmm. balance. What else am I missing? Weakness, <laughs> weakness numbness. Okay. Um, and tumors can also cause seizures. And mm -hmm. uh, so some patients will present with a seizure and we discover a tumor uh, from the seizure. So any kind of abnormal movements that could be associated with seizure, well, hopefully you get it checked out just you know because it might be a seizure. Yeah. Um, but it, that can be brain tumor related as well. And like I was saying, it's really depending on location. For instance, the pituitary tumors, they can cause hormone problems. They can cause a condition like Cushing's, which is too high of cortisol level, which is one of the stress hormones, causes patients to gain weight. Um, they can have uh, really thin in their skin, and they can actually become very emotional. I had one patient who had a psychotic break, and they thought, you know, they frankly thought she just had psychiatric issues and come to find out she had a brain tumor. She had a wow. pituitary tumor. And which and she got a lot better once we removed the tumor. And so bottom line, almost any symptom can be associated with brain tumors, but what distinguishes is more the chronicity or 
Is it something that is slowly getting worse and, and you're consistently having those symptoms? That's much more worrisome than a one-off. You, you know, feel a little dizzy one day and, or you have some numbness in your left leg another day and it it's, doesn't repeat, then that's not as concerning. But if it's persistent and the symptoms are slowly getting worse, especially if it's associated with headaches, it should be checked out. How quickly can a brain tumor grow? There are two kind of major subclasses of brain tumors, and actually three major subclasses. Um, one is benign, and then the other is malignant, is to, to simplify it, or the, the cancers. Within the cancers, it can be within the brain itself, or it can be from another part of the body. The ones that grow rapidly are the cancers. So the brain tumors are the what people call the brain cancers. Those are the ones that can grow over weeks to months. The uh, as common in certain ages more common are the benign tumors. Meningiomas is a, a benign type of tumor that's very common. Maybe one percent of the population have them. We see them on scans; are not a big deal. Those are typically very slow growing. Pituitary tumors are typically slow growing. Uh, so the benign tumors they grow a millimeter, a fraction of an inch, maybe a year, and that'd be considered rapid growth. The the cancers they grow a lot faster than that. So, Dr. Steinig, I think I've told you about my daughter a little bit. She had an, a teratoma, which was stemming from the skull base, so mm -hmm. considered a brain tumor. We did have yes. a neurosurgeon on her team, and mm -hmm. these tumors can impact, like, so much. You know, she's had so many, like, eye tests and hearing tests and, like, everything just because it does impact so much. Is it is a teratoma? Like a brain tumor, or is that a whole nother? Yeah, it's a it's a bucket. type of yes, it's a type of ter uh, a brain tumor. There's the it's called the germ cell tumors, and teratomas are part of the germ cell tumor line, mm -hmm. and but they can occur in other places as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but they are considered a, a type of brain tumor when they're located in at the skull area. base in that area. Right. And. I did a lecture, uh, it's going on probably 15 years now, uh, and it was entitled because I was talking about meningiomas and uh, quote-unquote benign brain tumors, and the title of the talk was benign brain tumors, not so benign. So it really depends where the benign brain tumors are because uh, they can be very hard to deal with. Uh, yeah. They can be in locations that, that are hard to, to remove or dangerous to remove. It's very intense. Is there like a, a, a group of people that are more susceptible to getting brain tumors? Like, do you see a commonality between anyone or can it just happen any age, anytime, anywhere? It's pretty much, it's random. It can, any age, it, the, there are groupings. For instance, meningiomas typically occur in middle-aged or older folks. Um, there are certain types of brain tumors that occur primarily in kids, um, a a tumor called a pilocystic uh, astrocytoma is almost universally in kids, probably 95% of the time it's in kids and young adults. So yeah, there are groupings uh, of uh, folks uh, who are more likely to get those tumors at certain ages. We haven't worked out the genetics of tumors to the point that we can predict you know, who's going to get them and, and what gene it controls. And, uh, but if you have a primary relative that has a brain tumor, your likelihood's slightly higher. It's not Mendelian, meaning it doesn't give you a 50% chance of having a brain tumor. It might increase your likelihood of maybe one in 10,000 to one in 1,000. So it does increase your risk if you have a, uh, somebody in your family, a primary uh, member who has a brain tumor. 
a very frequent question in my brain tumor populations. You know, how did this occur? What yeah, happened? Yeah. And uh, so most brain tumors, we haven't worked that out to the point. You know, there are some tumors we know why they happen. It's the cervical cancers. We know it's associated with a certain virus, uh, certain lung cancers, carcinogens. But a lot of a lot of tumors we haven't worked that out. So most of the time, it's it's we just don't know why you developed a certain type of brain tumor. That's hard to sit with. You don't know why, but no. I guess. Fortunately, they're still relatively uncommon. So, yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to removal, I'm sure it's going to be different based on where and how large, but what is that process like? Well, how are you, how are you getting, how are you getting in there? Yeah. Well, with brain tumor, uh, with brain tumor treatment, there are so many more options now than they were even 15, 20 years ago. The, uh, so there are a lot of minimally invasive techniques. Uh, there's the gamma knife radiosurgery, which is actually a very, it's called surgery uh, because it's a one-time shot, but it's a very focused type of radiation that we can use in certain types of tumors. We're also, there's a laser. How does that work? Well, it's a, it's essentially a, a patient who has a small brain tumor that, or it can be too large. It's usually about an inch and a half is the, the largest uh, that we'll treat. And, but if they're in a location that could be dangerous to remove, then you, the gamma knife essentially, uh, it's almost like using a, a magnifying glass with the sun mm-hmm. where it takes the rays of the sun and focuses the rays in one point and becomes very hot at that point. Gamma knife does a similar thing. It, it takes so it like it, burns it off. Well, it's it uses radiation. So, but it uses multiple beams of radiation coming at all different angles. So, no one part of the brain gets a, a lot of radiation. Gets very low dose, except where it's focused. And at the focus point, that's where ninety nine percent of the radiation goes. And that's and you focus that on the brain tumor. So it's a way of g- getting to the brain tumor without opening the skull. And then what happens when that tumor is hit with all the radiation? It's uh, it depends what type of tumor. The benign sometimes we'll do it for benign tumors. It typically stops them from growing. Uh, certain types of brain metastatic brain tumors. It actually is a very effective treatment. Uh, they can actually just melt away, uh, depending on what type of brain tumor we're dealing with. There's also minimally invasive techniques. There's a way that we can put a laser probe, a very thin laser probe into the brain, into the tumor, and then use laser energy to treat the tumor. Uh, I'm, I, my specialty is minimally invasive techniques. So I use 3D virtual reality and computer assisted um, guidance in my surgery so I can be very precise of where I'm going in. So I have to use a small opening into the skull. Uh, and that's the latest in the open techniques. So. Do you remember your first brain tumor patient? Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. So were it's, you scared? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you in residency. That's one of the reasons residency for neurosurgery is seven years. <laughs> right. They don't want you going in scared. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So by the time you get to the seventh year, you're very tired, but you're not scared anymore. Yeah. Okay. So. Gotcha. So what is the likelihood after a tumor is removed for it to come back? 
again, it's uh, dependent on what kind of tumor. Right. With the, the meningiomas, if we can remove it all, then the likelihood is very low it's going to come back. The brain cancers, unfortunately, even if you remove it all, um, those typically will come back. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the metastatic tumors, uh, typically if you remove the entire tumor for like a tumor that's from somewhere else, uh, then it's not coming back either. But it's, it's really between those two groups. The benign tumors, if you can get them all out, then it's a cure. And fortunately, even uh, the types of tumors that are inside the brain, uh, like the astrocytomas, if they're benign or a low-grade astrocytoma, if you can remove it all, those patients do very well. And I just recently saw one of my first pediatric patients I treated when I joined in 2004. And wow. uh, yeah, she had a polycystic astrocytoma and she came in with severe headaches and she had a couple months of nausea and vomiting and they thought it was GI related. So mm-hmm. she underwent a GI workup, which is actually pretty common. Um, you'll have, yeah, you'll have teenagers or, um, or, or kids just vomiting and they may not even tell the parents they have that much of a headache, but it just seems like a GI issue. Yeah. And, uh, so she eventually developed uh, discoordination and then her pediatrician put it together, the discoordination, the uh, severe headaches and nausea and vomiting sent her to, sent her to me. And she had turned out she had a, a big brain tumor in her cerebellum, which is the back part of the brain. So for, I removed it, and she, her, it took a while for her discoordination to go away, but she did very well. And then, so I guess it's 18 years later, or 18, 19 years later, she's in my office, uh, um, and uh, she's doing great. So That's amazing. Yeah, That's so. the best. I mean, I know it from being a parent of a child who has many surgeons, and we love our surgeons, so mm-hmm. I'm sure she was... Yeah. Happy to see you. And how old was she when she had the tumor? Uh, so she was about eight. So yeah, she went and the processing for that of an eight-year-old, like yeah. how does? Yeah, she, she was. Um, yeah, she, of course she was in shock, and she yeah. didn't, she didn't really talk much, and then so. But I saw this uh, little girl evolve into a beautiful young woman. And it was uh, it was really amazing to see that growth, and in that she became a pretty precocious twenty something when she came back to see me. She was very talkative at that That's point. That's what you want to see, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's amazing. So, yeah, That's so, so awesome. All right, so we've talked a little bit about you know the symptoms, diagnosis, recovery. What what's the advice that you give someone when they get that news? Mm-hmm. Well, people. You know, when you hear brain tumor, you, you you automatically have all these horrible things go through your head. It's like, you know, is, is this the end? And, mm-hmm. Which is natural. Most, you know, the the malignant brain tumors don't have a great prognosis. Uh, don't want to candy coat it. But most brain tumors, you know, there are treatments. And patients do very, very well uh, from surgery or from the treatments that we provide. So brain tumor by no means is any type of death sentence or horrible prognosis. It really depends what type it is. And uh, especially if it's one of the more benign type of tumors, uh, my patients do very well with those type of tumors. 
Okay. Always so, good to get some good news. Yes. So it's, uh, you know, talk to your, if you get that diagnosis, then, you know, get in to see a neurosurgeon and we can lead you through all the different, you know, what to expect and then all the different treatment options. And sometimes I have patients that, especially in the small men, or small benign tumors, um, like I said, with the meningiomas, there's probably one out of every 100 people have them. And... Um, it causes a lot of anxiety. You get this diagnosis, it's a brain tumor. Oh my God, I have a brain tumor. But uh, when they come and see me, it's like this thing's about a half an inch wide. It's probably been there for the last five years. And there's nothing to do. You're going to be just fine. And so we'll follow it. And uh, most likely you won't even need treatment for it. So there's a lot of cases in which it's just, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's not going to cause you a problem. And it's not going to affect your life. Right. That's the good news, I guess. Yes. It's always good to have it checked out uh, to make sure that it is something that's benign and and not going to affect you. But uh, it's hard to tell somebody don't stress about having a brain tumor. But get in to see your doctors, get in to see your neurosurgeon. and, And the vast majority of time, there are great treatments and patients do well. So, Dr. Sinecki, what does that process look like for you as you go through the day, you know, you're waking up, you're having your coffee, you're getting to work, maybe checking some emails, and then all of a sudden you're just going to do a brain surgery. Like, how do you lead up to that? Also, do you listen to music when you do it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I tell my scrub uh, scrub nurse I can't operate without music. What do you it's listen a, to? What's your soundtrack? <laughs> it is all over the place. I have, I just turn on Pandora and put on I'm going to find you on Spotify. It's going to be like, Dr. Steineke's <laughs> surgery playlist. So, I, yeah, I put my Pandora on shuffle. I probably have 50 different stations shuffled in. So you'll hear some Eminem, followed by Johnny Cash, followed by some Christian rock. Uh, so it's all you over the You are all over the map. Okay, yeah. I like so, it. I dig it all. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, I, I often will listen to music. It, it kind of depends on the day. Because there are certain tumors that are much more intense. Uh, and uh, other tumors are just another just another day at the office, just another Wednesday. And um, and with that said, uh, you know the patients are often very nervous coming in. I tell them it's perfectly normal. I'm, I'd be concerned if you're not nervous. You yeah, you are undergoing brain skull. surgery, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I tell them, don't worry, I'm not nervous. You know, it's just another day yeah, for yeah. me. Um, and so I use, I try to put their mind at ease uh, with that. But on my on the, the the days in which the tumors are much more complex, I usually have, you know, I usually will not um, schedule any type of meetings. And so I, of course, try to get a good night's sleep uh, the night before. But I'm generally laser focused that day. So uh, I don't really want interruptions. And I just kind of, I'll, I'll go in, see the patient. We'll talk about expectations and that. And then um, I use a lot of the I use the three D uh, virtual reality for preoperative planning. So as the anesthesia is uh, putting the patient to sleep, I'm usually rehearsing the operation in the the virtual reality, and I can you know rehearse it five or six times uh, pretty quickly. And but even before that, I've I've thought through the process, I thought through the approach, and um, on the more complex stuff, we have a, a team of neurosurgeons. Uh, we each of us kind of talk back and forth we uh, to each other, and and those patients are often presented on our comprehensive brain tumor conference, 
something we've been running here at JFK for the last probably 30 years. And that's um, just basically a panel of experts. And so I've done all that kind of preoperative process. But on the, the more complex days, it's, yeah, I'm pretty laser focused. Uh, on the more, more routine days, um, I do, like I said, I do a lot of pituitary tumors. Those are much more routine than some of the other types of tumors that I do. And so it's a little bit more of a, a casual day. So, yes, get my coffee, maybe even take, uh, do the email, get caught up in some stuff. I work with an ENT that often will do the approach. So that gives me a couple hours to do meetings or whatever else uh, that I need to get done. And then, I, and then I join him when we're at the base of the skull to, to take out the tumor. So, yeah, it's, it's more on the intensity of the case. I've been doing this 20 plus years, so not many cases actually stress me anymore. Um, most of them are pretty routine because I've, in a weird way, I've seen almost, I've uh, seen, seen everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and have solutions to, to 99% of what I run into. But the amazing thing about what I do is there's always something new. There's always a, you'll get into an operation and go, well, that's that's a little, a uh, little unique. New about the brain? Yeah. Well, just in the the way the tumor interacted with the brain or grew mm-hmm. into the brain or um, some problem that you didn't quite foresee. Uh, but with experience, you, you learn how to deal with that on the fly. Uh, and it becomes, even the unexpected becomes kind of routine for you. Yeah. I think it's great. Well, what I heard and I took away similar to my daughter's story was the collaboration that you can have with the other surgeons to say like, well, here's what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think of that? I feel Mm -hmm. like that is such a great thing as a patient to hear that it's like, we're not just dealing with one brilliant mind. We have Mm -hmm. all these other minds who are looking at what this situation is and going to get us the best outcome. So... Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, and that's the real benefit of uh, going to the bigger centers. Uh, uh, at JFK, we've had an academic type of neurosurgery program since I've been here, since 2000. Even before that, it was started in the 90s. And so you know, there's six other surgeons that I'm routinely talking with. Uh, we're also a neuroscience institute, so we're all under the same roof. So I have immediate access to neuro-oncology, radiation oncology, um, the uh, neuroradiologist. And so they're, they're literally, you know, I walk over and talk to them. It's mm-hmm. not, not even a phone call. So being in an institute-like practice, I've, first of all, it's very rewarding, but I think it's, uh, it does provide great care for the patients because like you said it's just not one person's opinion it's multiple and uh, sometimes you know they'll spark different ways of looking at it and it's like well did you ever think about this approach or what about this angle or and uh, so we play off each other a lot like that and it's a great environment but I think it provides the best care for our patients totally and for those patients a lot of the time these different specialties are needed too. Like you said, with brain tumors, it's not always just one thing. Like ENT can be involved and ophthalmology and all that. It's all tied. So definitely good. Mm -hmm. All right. So now I have a wacky question for you. What (laughs) is, what's the brain feel like? What would you compare it to that I would understand? Well, I generally don't try to sit there and push on it much. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. But if you did. It's soft. It's a kind of a solid type like of Play-Doh? Je- like, like Jello. It's a, it's like, like Jello? Yeah, it's like a firm Jello. 
Okay, firm yeah. Jello. So maybe yeah. like a cheesecake. Yeah, maybe, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm, I'm not sure why, but in medicine, it's often referred to as like uh, comparing to different types of foods. So because it's something we all know. Yeah, I guess know? so. That's that's why people do that. Okay, I'm a little that's concerned a, that it's like very easy to slice through now, but. It is, yes. and uh, But that's why you have the skull. It's very hard, protective yes. covering. Um, the dura is also a very fibrous type of covering that, that covers it. And then it's floating in fluid, so there's a shock absorber within that. And so, yes, unprotected, the brain is very easy to cut through. Crazy. Yes. Good to know. Yeah. Dr. Seineke, this has been very enlightening. I'm not going to panic about a headache, but we Absolutely. won't take any symptoms lightly. Keep, I guess, keep focus on how you're feeling. Um, and we just appreciate you taking the time to explain all of this to us because we know it's, you're busy. No, my, my pleasure, Katie. Thank you for having me on. And again, I don't want to scare anybody. Headaches are very common. They don't mean you have a brain tumor. But if it's something is unusual and becomes persistent, especially if it's associated with nausea, vomiting, or neurological symptoms, that's something to get checked out. Maybe nothing, but those are kind of red flags that you'll want to check out. For sure. Better safe than sorry. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. The material provided through this podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.